we're in Romans 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 12. I actually won't be speaking a ton from there uh, because I was reading through it and I just got excited about some other stuff, but it's related. So ro- turn to Romans 12. <laughs> the reason we, ro- we chose Romans 12 is uh, because, partly because of a statement at the end of it where it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Actually, there's, it's a commission of the Lord um, to the church is not be overcome by evil, but actually overcome. We are called to be overcomers, more than conquerors. So overcome evil with good. And uh, we've also often heard of that quote by Edmund Burke, which says, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. So Romans chapter 12 is actually gives us some practical things to be doing to overcome evil with good. And that's assignment from heaven. Now, if you're in my generation or older generation, you've seen um, America go through a lot of shifts. And a lot, when I grew up, I grew up in a home. My mom and dad were not believers. Um, but the culture of America was Judeo-Christian. In other words, the principles of the Bible, even though they didn't know, they taught me principles from the Word of God because the culture was actually Judeo-Christian in nature. And if you're my generation or older, you've watched that be dismantled, piece by piece by piece. And, and how do we respond? I mean, you know, there's something, I don't know if you're anything like me, there's a warrior inside of me that rises up and wants to hit something, <laughs> wants to yell at something, you know, wants to shout something, wants, wants to do something. And it may not be the right thing. And, uh, and in fact, James chapter 1, I've, I've read this a few times because it says, Beloved, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And so there's something that God is doing inside the church right now that we need to respond, not from a fleshly response, but actually to hear the voice of God and listen to what he's saying, and say what he's saying, and respond as he would have us respond. Amberly and I were talking on Friday, and she mentioned something that Graham Cook had written recently, and he was talking about William Wilberforce. And uh, William Wilberforce is known as an abolitionist in England. He was largely responsible for steering the anti-slave trade um, legislation through the British parla- Parliament. And so he, he was a man who fought for freedom for Britain and was very successful. But he's not known for another movement that he initiated and helped collaborate on, which, which was a cultural reformation of good overcoming evil in England. At 28 years old, I'm going to do you a, little, a quick little history lesson because I did some research after Amber and I were talking. At 28 years old, Wilberforce wrote in his diary on October 28, 1787, that God Almighty has set before me two great objectives, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of morals. He and his teammates called the objective making goodness fashionable. Making goodness fashionable. One of his quotes is this, 
we are too young to realize that certain things are impossible, so we will do them anyway. I, anybody want to get encouraged today? You, I mean, do you just want to get encouraged? Can I encourage you today? Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. This 28-year-old got a vision like a bulldog and clenched his teeth on a bone for 45 years. True to his intent, Wilberforce spent the next 46 years working to accomplish these lofty goals. To the surprise of many, he would achieve both. Wilberforce's driving concern in his campaign to reform English morals was to improve the welfare of the entire culture or society. Wilberforce had witnessed firsthand the degradations of the age, which included drunkenness and corruption among governors of the House of Commons, frequent duels, debauched lifestyles among the rich and famous, a corrupt clergy, bribery among elected officials. The lower class were afflicted by fatherlessness, sound familiar? Alcoholism and drugs, the social injustices were so grave with workers, especially children, who were exploited and abused. William Wilberforce was not just an abolitionist seeking to overturn the legality of slave trade, but he was a cultural reformer seeking to overcome evil with good in his day. To bring God's pattern for healthy living into society, he caught a vision for, for transformed Britain, and he went to work. He was not distracted by the cares of this world or the love of things in this world. Here's another one of his quotes. The objects of this present life fill the human eye with a false magnification because of their immediacy. He had a vision of heaven, not of earth, and bringing heaven to earth. The core of Wilberforce was the soul. His conversion to Christianity was central to his life and what he believed necessary for the renewal of the culture. In 1797, he wrote a book entitled, I have the title up here, it's, it's huge, it's long. It would never fly today. A Practical View of the Prevailing Religious System of Professed, everybody say professed, Christians in the higher and middle classes in the country, contrasted with real Christianity. He was passionate about reinvigorating what he believed was a calcified Anglican church that was more cultural than it was authentically spiritual. Another one of his quotes, What a difference it would be if our system of morality were based on the Bible instead of the standards devised by cultural Christians. I want to remind you this morning that a cultural reformation must happen in America. And if you're in my generation, you have watched the Judeo-Christian principles be dismantled to a point where we cry out to God, we need your help, and it's what we need to do. And, and the, the question is, are we being reset to authentic Christianity? One of the things that the Lord is doing this time, and, and, I, and I say the Lord because I believe he's using what the enemy means for bad for good, Okay, one of the things he's doing is he's redefining the church in this hour. It's not about a Sunday morning gathering. He didn't save you so you could go to church on Sundays and go to heaven when you die. He saved you to be the light of the world. If my people who are called by my name 
See, the earth is in our hands. America is in our hands. Alaska is in our hands. California is in the church's hands. This is what the Lord is doing. He's saying, church, wake up. This is your hour to shine. And you guys and I have been chosen to live in this hour in America. Not so we can watch it go amiss, but so we can change the course of history. And that's what I want to encourage you with today. The verse that I was supposed to preach on <laughs> is verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and devoted to prayer. And so the sermon that I'm not going to preach was titled, Rejoice, Endure, and Pray. I am going to touch on those things. But, but actually that verse, I'm leaving for Mariah next week when I'm down in the Kenai fishing. And I'll be praying. You guys, I know she's anointed. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to go up on Hatcher Pass and uh, perform a wedding, one of my favorite things to do. And the reason is, is because when I wed a couple that know Jesus, it's, it's not just so they can exchange vows, but in my mind, I'm commissioning them into war. I'm commissioning in to take the light of heaven into the world. And this is how God started civilization when he talked to Adam and Eve he said God created man in his image male and female right he blessed them he said to them be fruitful multiply fill the earth and then what do he say what do you say you guys should know it's commissioning words subdue and rule see when the Lord wanted to bring his blueprint heaven to earth he created a man and a woman in his image and he said I'm giving you authority I want you to take over. Lucifer's on the earth with his dominion, his characters, his partners, and I'm giving you authority to bring my order, my heaven's order, my blueprint to earth and kick the devil off the earth. That's, that was the commissioning word for the family unit. That is still the commissioning word for the family unit. Well, what happened, what's happened in America? I'm going to tell you what's happened, in my opinion, my humble opinion. America has been going after the American dream rather than God's dream. We've made materialism our God. Not the kingdom come mission that God gave us. I want to remind you of some biblical cosmology. And cosmology is the study of the cosmos. And what I mean by that is just a fancy name of meaning heaven and earth and the universe and how God created the systems to work. What he planned. When he created man, when he created earth, when he had the heavens, they were created together, it says in Genesis chapter 1, what was his plan for how heaven and earth interacts? I want to remind you from Psalm 115:16, The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of man. Psalm 8, 4 through 6, What is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels. And you crown him with glory and majesty. And you make him to rule. Everybody say rule. Over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Which is reiterated in Hebrews chapter 2. Adam and Eve were commissioned. To subdue and rule. They had the authority to subdue the rules, powers of darkness and bring heaven's rule to earth. 
Then we have this scripture where Jesus is on the earth because we know that Satan came, deceived them. He took the keys from them, the authority from them. And so Jesus comes to earth, and he has this question that you're all familiar with it. He says to Peter and his disciples, who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, 16, right? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, one of his good moments, <laughs> under the inspiration of the Father, says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so then Jesus makes this statement. Good job, Peter. You wouldn't know this if the Father hadn't showed this to you. You are Peter, little, little R rock, and upon this rock... The revelation, I will build my ecclesia, my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of Hades, say the gates of Hades, shall not prevail. So there's this, this battle that is between the gates of Hades and the gates of the kingdom. And he's showing us that upon the rock that the Son of God became the Son of Man. This is, this is the critical revelation that the ecclesia is built on, is that God came in the flesh and became the Son of Man. Why did he do that? Well, several reasons. But one of the reasons is he would not go against what he'd already created and planned, violate his plan, and that is that man would rule the earth. That man would bring the dominion of heaven to earth. Jesus had to become a man to actually take over, to get the keys back. Not just to die on the cross for your sins, that's part of it, but part of it was to release to you and I an authority to overcome powers of darkness. He became the son of man. Now one of the challenges <clears throat> has been, um, we have not understood, and I've talked about this before, this word ecclesia, because the word was translated to church, actually came from a Greek word, kirk, and it was way more benign or impotent than the word ecclesia. The reason it got translated to church was because of King James. And King James knew if the church, the ecclesia, really understood his rule, because he wanted to rule the church, would be threatened. So he made them translate it into a word that would not cause the church to rise up and bring dominion. And so we have all these years, one of the resets that God is doing right now is the church is not about a gathering place. The word church actually means gathering place. But ecclesia means a group of people who are coming to make social political decisions. That's the actual definition of ecclesia. A group of people who are gathering together to make social political decisions. Now, I am one that believes that it's not necessary, although it can happen, like, like Wilbersforth happened, it actually end up being policies made in government. But I do believe that the Lord wants the ecclesia to actually determine the spiritual atmosphere, make decisions, legislate spiritual atmosphere over neighborhoods, cities, nations. The church is risen above the natural realm, and we're seated with him in heavenly places. And we actually have authority to shift atmosphere spiritually if we exercise our authority appropriately. Anybody with me? And, and a gathering of people making decisions can happen with two people in your home, Raj and Shri. 
You can legislate heaven to earth in your home by being in agreement in prayer. Where two or three are gathered in my name, Wilson family, you don't have to come to church to make spiritual legislation, right? You can do it right in your home. All you need is another person. If you're single, all you need is find another person. Get on the phone. Let's pray. Anita, D, let's pray. Come on, right now, we're going to pray over our president. We're going to pray over our governor. We're going to pray over our, our city. And so this, this, is, this is so important because the church is called the house of prayer. If there's one thing that should define us, it's our intercession. It's our prayer. We are prayer warriors. And so we have a spiritual assignment to bring heaven to earth through our intercession. Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. The war is on. Gates of Hades. Anybody been there? Anybody in the room been there? Brendan and I have been there. Actually, it's an actual place. It's 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And it's a place where people worship the underworld. They actually, they actually invited underworld powers into their, in their communities, and they would do detestable things, perverse sexual acts, sexual activity with animals, sexual activity with children. They sacrificed goats and children at the entrance of this cave, which was called the Gates of Hades. It actually was known as a place where the demonic would come and bring power to people who did horrible things. Listen. Sacrificing children invited the gates of Hades. That should get our attention. Jesus used this cave to make a statement of good overcoming evil. I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. The demonic powers, hell himself, Lucifer himself, will not prevail against my ecclesia. So what did he give us? Verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I've been in a lot of prayer meetings, some of them really powerful. It's interesting to me how little of that I hear. I don't hear many people taking authority and binding the powers of evil and loosing the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 6, 9, he instructs us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, how be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If there's one thing I can encourage you with is the Lord has invited you into the prayer room to change the atmosphere of America. Change the atmosphere of California. Change the atmosphere of the valley. Change the atmosphere over Anchorage. He's inviting you into that place where you have authority to invite the king to reign. You know, we sang that song, God, you reign. God, you reign. He only reigns if he gets an invitation from God's delegated authority. Because he will not defile, he will not change the systems that he set up. I think that the reason the church partly has become impotent in this season is because wrong theology has gotten into our minds. 
And this theology says basically it, it undermines our desire to really pray because we don't think our prayers really changes anything. This theology that says God is in control, I hear it all the time. I hear pastors say, God is in control. Well, God's not in control. If he is in control, then why do we sin? Is sin his will? Why is sin running rampant in America? Why is there sex slavery happening all over the earth? Is that the will of God? Is he in control? Is he, like, is he controlling the earth right now? Why are people shooting each other in the cities? Why are millions of babies being aborted every year? Every year? Is, is that our God in control? He's not in control. He's, he's in charge, and he sovereignly will do what he needs to do, and the future is still, still, still in his hands, but he's letting us partner with him. He's a father. He wants his son and daughters to step into the game and enjoy legislating his victories on the earth. We, we have doctrinally lost reality, and therefore we don't think our prayers matter. We lose the motivation to pray. When Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? What was the expression of faith in Luke 18? It was persistent prayers. The widow at the unjust judge saying, I need, I need you to shift something here. I need you to shift something. 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 And finally, the judge says, fine. And, and Jesus says, if the wicked judge will shift something because of her persistent prayers, how much more will I just or bring um, delivery to the elect who cry out to me day and night? But if I return, will I find faith on the earth? What does faith look like? Persistent prayers. Persistent prayers. Our th- theology needs to shift to biblical cosmology. He's not in control. He's given that. He's given the dominion of earth to man, and then he's asked us in partnership with him to bring his kingdom. God exerts his rule only when God's people, listen to this part, comes underneath his rule and then invites him to bring it to the earth. We are a royal priesthood. We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and he's made us kings and priests to our God. And so if there's one thing that I think the church is being reset, or I pray that we are being reset, is that our homes are becoming houses of prayer. Our homes are becoming houses of prayer. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. I shift history with how I pray in my home. He's, he's saying, church gathering, this is wonderful. By the way, thanks for coming this morning. I'd be really lonely if I just talked to this camera. I really like seeing your face. I'd like to hug each one of you, but probably you wouldn't want me to. We're, I, tell, I tell everybody, I'm about as awkward as you can get right now. I don't know what to do when I see people. My natural, my natural man just loves people because it's my, I mean, hugs people because it's my love language. And now I can't, I gotta look at people and go, ah, oh, they probably don't want me to hug them. We're in an awkward season, but one thing we can do is we can pray. We can pray. And I believe God answers prayer. Here's a direction for prayer for the church. And this is something like I'm entrusting that you will take this literally and go after this. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving 
be made on behalf of all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. This word, I urge, is actually, I, ble- I beg, I plead with you. I plead with you that you would be praying people, and you'd be praying for all men, but especially who? Especially who? Those, come on, you guys. Those who are in authority, especially for those who are in authority. Why? Because those in authority, if we pray for them, will make decisions that will lead to a peaceable culture, a culture where the gospel can be preached, and he desires all men to be saved. Are all men being saved? No. Okay, but his will is that all men saved, right? So what determines if people get saved? You and me. See, we're the one that usher his will to earth. He makes his will known, but you and I determine if his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so you have been given the responsibility to make sure that he is glorified on the earth. And he wants America. He does not want America. God does not want America dismantled. I am convinced of that. He would love for it to go back to a godly nation, one nation under God. Yeah, we've always had our issues. There is no nation. There will be no government that's perfect until Jesus is the governor, completely, on the throne. In the meantime, man's governments will always have its fault because we're all imperfect. All government, human governments are imperfect. But America has been a good nation and done a lot of good in this world. And we want America restored to one nation under God, right? Anybody agree? Indivisible, right? With liberty and justice for all. Those are biblical goals. We say amen, 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 and amen. Well, I'm just going to finish by us going to war because this is about going to war. It really is. Our weapons are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful. What? For pulling down strongholds. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against political parties. We wrestle against demonic realms. And he says, you will not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with what? All right, let's stand together. We're going to make some declarations together over America. Are you ready? Okay, before we do, can we just align align ourselves with the Lord right now? If, if you feel like it's a good place for you to repent, because it says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear, forgive, and heal their land. That's the target. That's what God wants to do, heal our land. So, Lord, we stand before you, brothers and sisters in Jesus, and, and we do ask, first of all, Father, uh, that you would forgive us for our unbelief that our prayers shift things on earth, that you would forgive us, uh, Father, for ways that we've been distracted by materialistic goals and set aside spiritual goals for materialistic goals. And, Father, we repent for, and each one of us, you guys, you, each one of you are responsible for whatever you want to repent over. Just know repent, repentance brings refreshing. Repentance brings refreshing of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, 
sometimes, may, maybe many of us have set aside our responsibility to steward heaven's reality into earth's problems. And so, Father, I ask right now that you would give us a gift of faith, that you would cleanse us by the blood of the Lamb, that you would give us the gift of faith to become prayer warriors, and that we would shift America's future, even Alaska's future, according to the will of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us the uh, grace to be intimate with you at your right hand, seated with you at your right hand, that we can see earth's problems from heaven's perspective and hear the word of the Lord and know what you want to say and say what you want to say. Because your words are anointed and powerful. And if we prophesy to the dry bones, they shall awaken. We pray for America, God, for a great awakening, a third great awakening. Somebody say amen in the room. A third great awakening. May the, may the church arise in this hour and become who you created us to be, the ecclesia that legislates heaven to earth. I come in agreement that you would come upon us with zeal, the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much, God. Bring the fervency of heaven upon your people, God, that we would pray with fervency and authority and faith, because you say you hear the prayers of the righteous. So I come to agreement with this gift to come upon your church in this hour. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Okay, let's, let's make some declarations over America together. Can we do this? We did this a couple years ago, and I, I felt like God heard our prayers. I think it's coming. You want to be encouraged? Only two people want to be encouraged? All right, Job 22, that whole chapter is powerful. You should go back and read Job 22 because there's a whole uh, direction for the church to come alive. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. And you will also decree a thing, and it will be established for you, and light will shine on your ways. All right, listen, decree of things to with, with me. I decree that America's God is the Lord, and his mercy triumphs over judgment. I decree God's unfailing love is upon our nation. I decree that God's righteous justice will prevail in our courts in America. I decree sexual clarity and purity over America. Come on. Somebody say amen. I decree that every person in this nation comes to know the perfect love of the Father and walk in sonship. Yeah. I decree every child have a safe and loving home. You think that's the will of God? I decree that the body of Christ Jesus will be a compelling witness of the gospel of Jesus, redemption, and eternal life. Man, come on, Lord, I agree with that. I decree the color line washed by the blood of the Lamb and the races coming together in unity and love. Anybody agree with that? I decree unity over the church, that the commanded blessing be released upon the land. I decree that biblical standards of marriage and family would be upheld and revered and protected in our nation. Come on. I decree that poverty among all ethnic groups would be eliminated. 
I decree that law enforcement would be reformed where needed and respected and revered by the masses. I decree that every life matters and deserves to be respected and protected from babies conceived, the disabled, and the elderly. I decree that all sexual abuse and trafficking stop abruptly and all that have been subject to the abuse experience the healing power of God. I decree that the military will be given proper place and respect and veterans would be given proper care. I decree and declare that the church will revive, arise, and cause an awakening across America, souls saved, hearts healed, safety restored, and a nation saved. And all God's people said, oh, I got more? I have another one? Okay, I decree that the parts of parents return to their children and the hearts of the children return to their parents. Every child safe, every home healed. Come on, come on. We say yes, Lord. Honestly, you guys, we can shift this thing. Oh, I have more. We, we can shift this thing. The church can shift this thing. We can shift this thing. I'm just telling you, we can shift this thing. He's looking for worshipers because he can trust them with his glory. And he's looking for intercessors because he wants to give and deposit the shifting words of heaven, heaven on earth, through us. So I loose the gift of faith on each one of you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, bless one another. Have an amazing afternoon. Love on each other.